new thing God is building and doing and, and it, it's growing in us. There's a real excitement about this baby being delivered of, of taking this glorious message that we've been entrusted with and seeing it deposited in, 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 in villages and communities and, and places around the city where it can affect lives and, and, and bring about its desired results, which the gospel does. The gospel is always powerful. And we don't want to see a baby come too early, that it's premature. We don't want to see it too late. We kind of want the timing. So we're asking the church to be praying, asking God, Lord, what is our part in this? Um, if it's to, to go, it's for a purpose. If it's to stay, it's for a purpose. But we should all be praying and asking God and hearing from God around these things. Um, nothing set in concrete. Like the old days when a, a woman fell pregnant, she didn't know what sex it was, she didn't know what size it was going to be, she didn't even know the exact day it was going to be born. You know the days before the technology. Kind of, there was that anticipation, that, that, that unknown factor that we've lost now with all the medical kind of, they plan the minute you have your birth because they kind of Caesar it and um, the, the sexes, all the things are known. But, but this, this, there's a bit of an unknown element in, in what we're stepping into in terms of seeing the gospel going to communities where, where churches are going to eventually take hold of this wonderful message. Um, and we know it's a nine-month period all in all. How far we into it, we're not even quite sure right now. But whether it's really happened and we just, you know, at the birth canal right now. But we do know there are some things that are, we are sure about. And that's the reason we're doing it, is to reach unsaved people with the gospel. It's not to start little groups to gather up existing Christians. That would just be sad. Because then we've saved them ten minutes to drive to our nice church. Who wouldn't want to come here? She, I thought everyone was going to be on their feet on it. But really the reason is clear. It's the gospel of, of the finished work of Christ. The all-resounding gospel that Paul preached unapologetically. Without trying to add man's do's and don'ts to it. But the, the powerful gospel. And we're sure that we called to preach this message in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the nations of the earth. But right here in Jerusalem, we realize there are communities that kind of stand alone. And to, to make it easier in those communities for people to bring in the unsaved, we want to see communities established. So we're in a process. There's a lot of we don't knows yet. Nothing is set in concrete. In fact, over the next two weeks, we're going to be meeting with leaders in the church, talking, brainstorming, uh, blind spots, missing Fs. Counsel, brainstorm, talk, and, and the baby might be delivered very differently to what we thought right now. But we're on a journey. And that's what we need prayer for. Amen? It's not casting concrete with this, these are the eight steps. Amen? Sign on the dotted line. Not at all. We know God has said this message is for the city in places where people can find it and, and, and bring people to, be, to it. And we, we have some, and we have leaders in our midst that are capable of proclaiming that message. But please be praying for us. This could be one of the most exciting times in the life of the church. But like what happened in Jerusalem, when in that case it was persecution, in this case it's not persecution. 
But God used what happened in Jerusalem to turn the whole known world upside down. Why not in Durban? So, can we pray? Father, you said that you love this world so much that you were prepared to give your son. And that Jesus is building his church. Not man, not committees, not organizations, but Jesus is building his church through the gifts that he sent into the world. The apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the evangelists, teachers and the priesthood of all believers. So we want to declare over the city of Durban, you will hear the gospel, city of Durban. You will hear about the finished work of the cross. You will hear about the better covenant we have. You will hear how good God is, how open the heavens are, and how blessed the believer is who walks by faith. We declare that over this this town, the highway area, the whole of the city. And we ask God that as a church you'd continue to give us strategy, that we would know it's not just convenience that we're doing this, but with a burning mission to reach the lost, the backslidden, the prodigals, the half-hearted, those who are under the illusion that they saved, into the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That they would be established in righteousness and established in this gospel. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Right. Should we get into our morning Bible teaching? We do believe in going to the Word. And I want you to ask to open up anywhere you like and start reading while we take up the offering. So we're going to bring our tithes and offerings this morning. Um, If the guys can come up. My wife on the way to church this morning said, instead of praying over the offering... Let's prophesy over the offering today. We're in a prophesying mood today. Should we, pro- should we prophesy over the finances? So take your offering in your hand, or whether it's tithe, or whether it's an empty hand representing your internal transactions. And let's, by faith, declare over this offering this morning. Say after me, I declare in Jesus' name that wherever this finance is sent, It's going to reap a harvest through the gospel for the kingdom of God. I commission this finance in my hand that the gospel may be preached and souls might be saved. That leaders would be released, new communities would be established, churches would be birthed, and nations would be impacted. I declare this in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. I want to speak shortly this morning on the subject when God is with you. It's a reoccurring theme in Scripture that we see around the subject and... um, I think, I think this is the, the good day to declare this. God is with us. 
And um, just as soon as my notes come up, I can thank you. The first, there's many occurrences, but you notice of David, it's said about God is with him, his father Solomon, God was with him, uh, Jesus in Acts 10 verse 38, God was with him, and, uh, and today, as the story goes around, Acts 7, 9, which says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him. Say, God was with him. God was with him. Those are the four words you want to have written as your epitaph one day on your gravestone. God was with him. We see that Joseph had a dream and uh, keeping in line with God's people dreaming again in 2010, dreaming big dreams in God, us as a community dreaming, us finding out what his dream is. Um, I saw on, if you go on YouTube, uh, a guy by the name of Danny Silk uh, does a little teaching on dreams. It was just a few minutes, very interesting. And there's just three points he made. And I just thought I'd kind of pull them out for you this morning. Number one, dreams pull, your, pull you towards your destiny. Number two, dreams pull your destiny towards you. And number three, dreams help you negotiate between the right and wrong activities and actions. So that's quite a good thing about dreams is they help you move in a direction. So let's have a look at, at Joseph's dream. We, most of us are familiar if we went to uh, Children's Church or over the years, you know, we're familiar with the story of Joseph. And uh, he, he shared this great dream that he had. And, and here we go in chapter 37 and verse 8. If you've got your Bibles open or else. And if we can just keep the notes just behind what I'm saying so that... Thank you. All right. Chapter 37 and verse 8 says... His brother said to him, to Joseph, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? I, you could ask, was he premature in sharing his dream? Do we get some wisdom from this in terms of, is there a good time or not a good time? Well, whatever. That's, uh, it says in verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father, bless you, kept this matter in mind. So his dad was kind of weighing it all up, you know, like Jesus' mother. She kept these things in mind. Uh, as we go through the story, we see Joseph is a bit of a daddy's boy. Always hanging around dad and all the other brothers out in the field. Dad making special clothes for him and kind of doting on, on him a little bit. Um, but anyway, so in Genesis 37, 11 to 17, you read the account where dad sends him to his brothers. And um, he, he eventually finds them in verse 18. And we'll see that not everybody loved his dream, okay? But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Now, we all know about Joseph who got sold into captivity. That wasn't what the brothers were wanting to do. They weren't wanting to sell him into captivity. They were wanting to kill him. And um, if, if it hadn't, hadn't been for his brother Reuben... Uh, his life wouldn't have been spared. Anyway, to kind of keep moving through the story, he sold to passing merchants, his torn bloody garment returned to his father, and he ends up in Egypt. Okay, we're all for possibly familiar with these, these events that are transpiring. 
notice with me that, that his brothers weren't that excited about his dream. Now, now I, I'm not talking about, I don't want to make too much application within a local context. I think we should be happy for each other's dreams. But we do have an enemy who's not happy with our dreams. It, was the, it wasn't the flesh and blood that was so antagonistic. It was what was behind the flesh and blood. That spiritual warring taking place. Bear in mind, covenants had been spoken to Abraham, passed on to Isaac, Jacob, and now the patriarchs, the, 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 the twelve sons, and especially, well, the ten before Manasseh and they were born. But anyway, now we've got Joseph, who's, who, who's close enough to God, who catches this vision of of how God wants to change the planet, and the enemy is against him. The enemy will be against anyone who has a vision to bring salvation to the world. And we see that his brothers wanted to kill him. Isn't that the devil's job description? We also see that later on he's lied about, put into jail. We see that in prison he's overlooked and abandoned. And not everyone is doing cartwheels about this vision, about this dream. And the enemy is... I've told the story a hundred times. I know my wife won't mind me telling it again. When we were just married and I felt the Lord had spoken to us, gave us a dream, go to Bible school, go and prepare for ministry. We got all excited. Our leaders pray about it, gave us some direction. We are going one way. They helped us see another opportunity. But one day I got a knock on the door from one of the elders from Janet's previous church, who we were no longer part of. And he came and knocked on our door, and he brought us this very positive encouragement that uh, we were doing the most biggest mistake of our lives. That it was going to end up in the poverty, destruction. He'd seen many people. He didn't believe we were called to this. It was just going to be a waste of our time and our lives. And, I mean, we were quite shocked and blown away, but we felt to go with what God had told us and our local elders had put before us. So not everybody is excited about when they hear the dream. Amen? Amen? Not everyone's, and especially when the dream is bringing salvation to people. Not just a selfish dream of my own Lamborghini uh, private island and crocodiles that attack charismatic on sight, but a dream that actually is a blessing to other people. Okay, so, so this is the predicament Joseph finds himself in, and then the, those beautiful words ring out for us, God was with Joseph. That was the difference. God was with Joseph. Uh, amazing how God can use whatever current opposition came his way to guard him. People might say, oh, well, he had to go to prison because that's how he went to... No, no, maybe he didn't have to go to prison. God could have found another way. Well, no, Potiphar's wife had to lie about him. No, no, maybe she didn't. Well, his brothers had to try... No, maybe they didn't. Maybe God just uses all things together to good for those who love him. Because I believe God has favorites. I mean, and you know, you can be one if you want to be one. You don't have to, but you can be. And, and, and how do you know when someone's a favorite? Because it says about them, God is with them. When God is with you, who can be against you? You're a favorite right there. How was he a favorite? In a day, well, why was he walking in the manifest presence of God to that extent? As we'll see, the story opens up and, and continues when many others of the day weren't. Because he chose to. He chose to believe in the goodness of God. He chose to press in and be with God. 
And he went from just believing God is omnipresent to experience God manifest present. I mean, lots of believers in the world know God is omnipresent. That's just a fancy term for God is everywhere. If you go home now, it's God there. If you go to the soccer stadium, it's God there. So we know that. God is everywhere present. But there's a sense, like we had a few moments in worship this morning where, oh, oh, I can smell you, Lord. The bread is fresh. Oh, I can taste you. Oh, you hear. Now what is that? That's the manifest presence. When you live in that place, in ten seconds you can do what could have taken you five years to do. Chapter 39 carries on from verse 4. Joseph found favor in his eyes. Who, this, is, this is Potiphar. And became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, of all that he owned, the Lord blessed. Say the Lord blessed. The household of the Egyptian, this uncircumcised Philistine because of Joseph, the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Isn't that amazing that you can be in, in the most ungodly situation, but just your being there as a favoured one of God, who's got the manifest presence, is going to bring blessing to that house. Is going to bring blessing to that business. Is going to bring blessing to that school or that college or whatever you faced with. That's what the manifest presence of God wants to do. That's why I say you can be His favourite. It can be said of you, even in the midst of this awful situation, you don't have to be praying, oh, I need to go into the ministry where it's peaceful and it's blessed and it's so nice and everyone's so sweet to you every day and they bring you coffee. No, you don't. Right in the midst of the worst prison, uncircumcised Philistine environment, that's where God's jewels want to shine the brightest against the backdrop of dismay and delusion and sin. Everything was blessed. You can imagine Potiphar sent out Joseph to go and dig wells. And those wells, wherever he just happened to go, Hey Lord, oh, it's such a beautiful day today. Oh, I remember you said to my father Abraham, we're going to be blessed of all the nations and count the stars, you can count our inheritance. And Lord, it's by faith I've been justified because the law hadn't come in yet because his heart was for God still. He wasn't needing religion to keep him focused. And he's enjoying the presence of God. And he stops and he has a sense to dig a well right here. What happens? Everyone else is digging water, stone, sand. He hits oil. Yeah. <laughs> now that's because Moses should have gone right at the Red Sea and not left at the Red Sea. That's another whole story there. Now, now, now we're back to Joseph, okay? So now, enemy tactic number one. If he can't get you disillusioned, discouraged, or murdered by your brothers, he brings a pretty woman into your life and not your wife, okay? So we know the story with Potiphar's wife. She noticed he was handsome and she like flicking little eyelashes at him and, and she was all cute and, and um, I'm not going to say any more about that. But, but we do find that when she keeps on her, her attention to him and tries to seduce him into a relationship by, by being very um, cordial and very kind of vague and she said to him, come sleep with me, he, he kind of said to her, how can I sin against God? Isn't that beautiful? He says, your 
husband has put me in charge of everything in his kingdom except you. How could I possibly sin against? You'd almost expect him to say, Potiphar. But he says, against God. This is before the commandments came. This is someone living in relationship, in the manifest presence of God, under a better covenant. Covenant that was pointing towards the ultimate covenant. Abrahamic covenant. He knew already in his heart. He didn't need rules and regulations to guide him. My wife just reminded me. She said, if I had to give you a, a word every day when you left the house, thou shalt not look at any other woman under 30. <laughs> exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. So I walked around with this. Thou shalt not look. Thou shalt not look. What would this be reminding me of? What not to? Sin consciousness. But if she wrote me a little letter, hey babes, can't wait for this evening after we put the kids down and the candles are burning and the bubbles are floating on the water, I read that all day, guess what I'm thinking about? No, she wouldn't do that because I've got a job to do. So. But the point is, if we're living with sin consciousness, that's the direction we're moving in. The power of sin is the law. The law is put in charge to lead us to Christ. But when I'm living under grace and under freedom and in relationship and in the Spirit, righteousness, peace, joy. Okay? So anyway, he turns her down, gets into big trouble. Woman scorned. What's that saying? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. He's lied about, put in jail, forgotten. And then he has his day arrives. Because remember, God is working all things together for good to those who love him. Those who are living in his favor, those who are living in his manifest presence. It says in Genesis 41, I dreamed a dream, Pharaoh told Joseph. Nobody can interpret it. But I've heard you just, that just by hearing a dream you can interpret it. And, and Joseph's response is just so indicative of, of a heart that's in good relationship with God. Joseph answered, well, yeah, I guess I am pretty gifted, you know. You know I, was just, I don't know where it comes from, but I got this gift that, that God gave me that, uh, you know. Now he just says, no, not I, but God. God will set the Pharaoh's mind at ease. Isn't that lovely when people give glory to God? And you can pick up. Yes, it was the Lord, but you know what I did? People that, I love it in the rugby. You know when they, they score trial, they score goal, and they turn on their own. And they go like that, do something like that. I don't know. They got that luck. Some guys just run away and half five all their mates. Other guys you can see they do a little thing and they like, there's something in them that says, I couldn't have done this without you. Don't you get a thrill when they do that? I do. Hey Brian, you and I get a thrill when they do that. It's like when you see the opposition helping one of the other guys up. You know, guys down instead of walking past and kicking him in the back of the neck. They put their hand out, you know. Lean down, bite the ear. No, put the hand out, lift them up. There's something in us that goes, oh, that, that's honorable. And I, when people give glory to God, when people are quick to say, man, I know if it hadn't been for the Lord, I could not be where I am. If it hadn't been for the Lord, Lord I couldn't have been still married to this woman. 25 years this last week. Yes, please. I know it has been God. Because... But there, I guess there's no one perfect in the church, you know. So. But I do, I know it's God. And I, I, 
I haven't always been quick to give God glory in things. And, 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 but we should be. We should want to be. You should. You look at your life. You look at your children. You look at whatever. But God. And, and just watch how the favor continues in verse 39. When Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. All my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Let me tell you, my friends, if you're looking for favor in your life, know this. The Bible says favor comes from the Lord. If you want to live in favor in every area of your life, whether that's that job promotion that you're needing uh, or, or that, that business you're starting to get off the ground or, or that new marriage that, that's kind of sometimes hitting thin ice, if you're saying, God, I want favor, not as the world gives. No, because there's a blessing that you can get out in the world. But it's not the blessing we're talking about. It's not the favor of God. I mean, honestly, some Christians live like that. It's not at a conscious level, but it's a bit of a, well, even if, I, you know, even if God wasn't around, I could still do this. You know? I, and I've got these gifts, and I've got these abilities, and I've got... And it's not at a conscious level, but subconsciously, we still think we can do it without God. That's, I'm not talking about that. Because that's a different... I mean, there's unsaved people, heathen, who live in prosperity and luxury. You say, oh, look, they're so favored. No, no, they just, you know, they worked hard and they got some breaks and they took it and they, but they're not favored. They might be the most miserable, unhappy, broken people in the world. They just look good from the outside. And you know, there's an arrogance that comes with that kind of success. I know, I've, I've been to Dubai. I know what it's like for a, a 15 series BMW to stop, stop, you know, with 19 doors and, you, you know, kind of, like, like hovers off the ground and a guy gets out shakes shake shake I'm telling you I've seen whole city blocks that have been leveled where there were houses city blocks with, where they've leveled the houses to build a palace money like you, they, they, they give out keys to, to, to four by fours to all the guests who come to the wedding and they, I'm not kidding not kidding. A key on the table where you sit down to eat. You know, we get like a chocolate. <laughs> like a little candy stick, you know. It's like, a, it's like a little box with a key in it. With a number. And it's in the parking. Like a, four, a brand new four bar. I mean, it's, it's, it's money like you could... I'm not talking about that. Because a hundred years before, he's pulling his camel through the desert. I'm not talking about... Oh, sorry. I'm just saying there's an arrogance. There is a... I've seen the look in some people's eyes where you actually feel like they see you like the, 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 the dirt under the, the rat's foot when you're in their presence. You feel like almost despicable, like you, you're like a... There's this arrogance that comes with that success. It can happen to politicians. It can happen to clergy. There's an arrogance that comes with success that we don't discern as God's favor. Because when we discern God's favor, it should bring a humility. It should bring a, God, if it hadn't been for you, if you had not built this house. You see, the world system is looking at 
what you've done. The world system is based on what have you done. Our faith is built on what he's done. And all this gospel preaching is, is, is refocusing, is around, back from what I have to what he has. To what I can do to what he has done. And I believe the true preaching of the gospel will bring back a humility to our hearts. That we'll know that God longs like a parent, longs for their children to walk in success. But sometimes the parent knows that the child's not safe for something just yet. The parent's longing for that day. The parent's not holding off. The parent's not all, you know, bit and twist. The parent's longing to... But the child is not just not safe enough to walk in that success yet. And I believe the same thing is happening in the church today. When Father sees that we are safe for, for reigning and for victorious life and for an avalanche of His favor and blessing, He's going to be more delighted than we're going to be. But what is it that's going to make us safe for success? It's when we know that Jesus is our success. Say that again. When we know that it's Jesus who's our success. His obedience. His righteousness. His pleasing the Father. His finished work. His better covenant. And when we embrace that, and we know without a shadow of doubt, it's not Him bringing His part, and then, you know, I must do my part. When I realize it's not about His part and my part, when I realize it's His part, Jesus is my success. I bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Christ's obedience. Christ's righteousness. When I do that, and my mind is being renewed at some stage of all this, says, oh, what I've been longing for so much for my children for so long, I can now pour out in the midst of the enemies. I've been providing for my children because I love them and I'll provide for them anyway because they're my children. But, but there's so much more I've had for them. But if I gave it to them now, they would think it's got something to do with themselves. And, and I'm wanting them to get to the stage where they know that it's my son who's their success, the only cause, the only reason, his, his gift of righteousness, his abundance of grace. And when they see that, they are going to reign, like Romans 5 says, more than conquerors, nothing separating them. That is my prophetic sense about why we're tearing around the message. Tearing around the... And I bump into two kinds of people in the church. I bump into the kind of people saying, oh, this has been wonderful, but can we um, move on now? I've got it. I love it. It's my church, you know. And then I meet other people who go, don't stop, brother. Don't stop, brother. I'm loving it. I, go for it. Go for it. More, more, more. I'm believing it. My mind's being renewed. I've turned away from seeing my part and his part. I'm seeing completely his part now. Don't stop now because I might just lose ground and slip off out of gravity into self-works again and self-righteousness and self-confidence. Uh, 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 I don't want to live there again. I want to know that Jesus is my success. And where he favors me, whether I'm in the pit, if he spoke palace, that's where I'm going. So I'm as much as a success in the pit as I'm one day going to be in the palace. Because I either am someone who God is with, or I'm not someone who God is with. 
I get to choose, am I one of those favoured that they can say God was with that man or am I, am I not? I don't know about you, my friend. I want it to be written on my gravestone one day. More than ever, God was with him. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? Don't you want that? We live under a better covenant than Joseph did. So we can have it. It's been provided. He's just waiting for us to get to the end of ourselves and begin trusting fully in the one who is with us. He just chose to live in his father's love while his brothers were out doing, doing, doing. He chose to be staying, being and in his father's company. And as he did that, he caught something of true sonship. He heard those words that we long to hear. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's you and me in Christ. Can I... There's a scripture in Galatians in in the Amplified Bible. Uh, You got it there. Because this is how serious this message is. If we subconsciously think we can do it without Him. In Galatians 5 verse 4 it says in the Amplified, I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ and fall out of grace. Now now, now that might be relating directly to our salvation. But it's the same faith that we live by as Christians in our everyday life. When it comes to relationships, work, trusting God for things. And then Jeremiah 9 verse 23. I don't think you got this one. Or do you? Is it there? Galatians 9 verse 23. I beg your pardon, Jeremiah. Galatians 9. (laughs) Keep looking. We'll finish with this. You see, thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. See, going to the end of, of the Joseph story, we see that his brothers are in... The Pharaoh had a dream about the seven good years, the seven bad years. You know the story? Some of us. And he interprets it. And he starts saving up in the good years. There's a famine in the land. The brothers come. He eventually by a series of events, gets them to bring Jacob, his father. They break down, they cry, they hug. He makes himself known to his brothers. He, those beautiful words that, that, he, that when they felt like they were going to be killed. And he says to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Doesn't that sound like Jesus on the cross? What you meant for evil, 
God has used for good. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's a sign of a true person who understands that they live in the favor and grace and blessing of God, undeserved. Father, forgive them. And, and look at Pharaoh's response here to, to Joseph after his brothers come now to Egypt. And, and Joseph said to, I mean, Pharaoh said to Joseph in verse 47, chapter 47, verse 5, Your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my livestock. See, it was Joseph's unconditional attitude to his brothers that brought them in to their inheritance. And isn't this a beautiful picture of Jesus? That although he knows everything about you, he loves you as you are. And he says, every misgiving, every sin, every lie you've uttered, every bad thought you've had, I'm going to take it. I'm going to have that put in me. That I can take what is righteous and pure and holy and put it in you so that you can find your inheritance. It's such a beautiful picture of the gospel. That if you've never submitted your life to Jesus because you've had a picture of you have to first become good enough. Let me tell you, these people could not get good enough first. These brothers that have come as they were. When we come to Christ, we have to come as we are. He just loves us too much to leave us like that. So He changes us. And grace starts to work in us and teaches us how to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires. But if we don't come to an end of ourself and we still have self-righteousness, if we still have a sense of, of, of I can do it, then the law is going to have to break us. We're going to have to come to a place where we realize that we need a Savior. And that's what Jesus' name actually means. When, when the angel said, call him Jesus. You know what the name Jesus means? Savior. What was Joseph here? He was a saviour. You see, of, of all the names of God, we've done names, studies of God. He's omnipresent, omniscient, faithful, merciful, holy, beautiful. You can do all the names of God. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Rapha. I mean, the names of God are so wonderful. They go on and on in revelation of who He is. But there's one name that stands above it all. is the name Jesus. And Jesus means saviour. We need saving. We need saving in our homes. We need saving in our country. We need saving in our, in our business, in our lives, in our marriages. We need saving. And that's His name. Savior. And He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He has shown Himself as Savior. Do we trust in Him totally, explicitly, or do we trust in ourselves? I wonder if we can just bow our heads where we're sitting this morning. I'm reminded of the thief on the cross with Jesus. On the right and on the left, as Jesus hung behind heaven, between heaven and earth, and on the right-hand side and the left-hand side, there were these criminals. And the one hurled accusations at Jesus, and the other one said, Lord, have mercy. And Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And you can imagine what it was like for that man when he 
when he stepped into paradise, walking next to Jesus. He was the first man to come in with Jesus on that day. And the crowds were singing, the angelic choirs were worshipping, and all heaven was pulsating with electric, breathtaking beauty around the, the Lamb of God that had been raised and, and was coming into the presence of, of the throne room. And walking by, by his side was this man who just a few moments before had been a thief on a cross. And all he said was, Have mercy. Do not forget me. So wherever you are in your life right now, if you feel like you are not qualified, we're preaching the one who qualifies you. If you're feeling like you've messed up, I want to proclaim to you this morning the one who presents you faultless, without blame and without condemnation. If you say in your heart this morning, I've never known Jesus as my Savior, I want you to look up at me wherever you're sitting right now, because in a moment I want to pray for you. And I want to know who I'm praying for. I want to point in your direction. I want to pray for you. But if that's you now, just lift up, make eye contact with me so I can just know who I'm praying for. I'm going to start on this side. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. If you looking up and saying, yes, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. Not just as a, a church figure or a historical person, but as my Savior. Right now, just raise your hand if you're sitting here. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, man. Anybody here? Thank you, sir. Anybody else? In this section over here, if you're looking up at me right now, just raise your hand. I know who I'm praying for. Over here. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else here? Thank you, sir. Can we all stand up together? I want those people who indicated their hands, I want to pray for you right now. Slip out from your chair where you're standing. Walk past the people where you're standing. Come and stand in the front chair right now. I want to call you to come now. Don't think about it. How do I do this? You just step out of your chair. You move down the aisle and you come to the front. Come right now. Come now. We welcome you as you come. We welcome you as you come. Heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoiced over the criminal on the cross who said, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy, have mercy on me. Let's pray with them as a church. Say after me, just lift up your hands here on the front and say, Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's a saviour. Jesus, you're my saviour. I could never be saved in my own ability. I could never be good enough. I needed a Savior. I receive your saving in my life. My sins forgiven through your precious blood. I believe you were buried. You were crucified. You were buried. And you were raised again. You're seated on the right hand side of the Father. And you're coming again for your church. Thank you for faith right now in my heart by which I'm saved. Lord, we do thank you for these folk right now as they've just spoken out these words. Would that faith in them ignite with you this morning? Would faith ignite with you this morning? Lord, that they would receive believing faith, that their spirits would be reborn, regenerated, supernaturally by the power of God right now, right now, 
in Jesus' name. If some of the leaders can just come and stand with them. I want you guys in front to just look at me for a moment. Took some courage stepping out, coming up, doing what you did. But today is a wonderful day in heaven. There is a celebration. And these folk with you are going to just pray, a short prayer, get, get maybe a, some contact number to be able to contact you, see how you're doing in the week. Um, and bless you. Someone with everybody, just one gentleman over here. To everybody else, um, God bless. Have a wonderful long weekend. Um, you can take tomorrow off. And um, see you on Sunday.